This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hi, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Dr. Daniel Curtis, an associate professor specializing in social responses to historical diseases at Erasmus University in the Netherlands. We'll be discussing how people in movies react to epidemic disease outbreaks. Welcome, Dr. Curtis. Hi. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to speak. Um, this is a pretty interesting topic. We actually did a podcast in 2018 called The Zombie Condition in Literature. So this is a fascinating addition to that. What got you interested in investigating how infectious diseases were portrayed in films? Well, uh, I'm actually a historian, um, not really interested in films per se. Um, and in my in my work, uh, I look at the resilience, vulnerability, and com- coping capacity of societies throughout the past, basically. And in, in more recent years, it has sort of gravitated more towards uh, epidemics and, and famines. But my my, my co-author uh, Han Qijun uh, is a scholar of film and culture, uh, mainly focusing on on. Um, the, the, the representation of Chinese families within, within Hollywood cinema. So basically, we just decided to bring together our kind of respective interests. Okay, so how did you go about gathering the information for your study? Um, so at, at the base is a, a number of um, catalogs and databases of films. So you know, your classic databases such as IMDb and, and so on. And we essentially just manually searched through these, these databases to find uh, epidemic-related films. It's not really an easy task because we try to limit the scope for uh, for the interests of you know, a, a small paper. Um, so we decided to remove all films that were not really grounded in reality or semi-reality. So removing zombie films or films about apocalypse or bioterrorism, for example. Okay, once you had the information you needed, what did you do with it, and and how did you conduct this review? Uh, Well, really, it's just simply a case of watching many, many films again and again, you know, sometimes a number of times, going back to to particular scenes, uh, analyzing characters uh, and the narratives and so on. Um, and trying to find recurring features within this large corpus of films. Um, the paper that we, we, we wrote for, for emerging infectious diseases, this was a kind of meta-review of numerous films to sort of observe patterns over time. But uh, at, at the moment, we're also working on a sort of follow-up paper where we just zoom in on three uh, really important films, uh, one being uh, Contagion from... 2011 is quite well known. Uh, blindness and uh, the painted veil, oh. where we sort of zoom in much more specifically on some of the mechanisms. Oh, we look forward to, to reading that one too. Um, yeah, we a lot of Contagion was filmed here at CDC. You know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty pretty great film actually. I think. Yeah, they um, actually asked. People here, employees, if they wanted to be in the film as extras walking around and stuff, but <laughs> I, d- I didn't volunteer. Um, uh, you state in your in your article that films illustrate 
two ways that epidemics can affect societies. So tell us about those. Yeah, we, we make a, a distinction between two essential responses, both connected to fear. And this first response uh, leads to a kind of breakdown in, in sociability, um, which is kind of informed by concern over broader moral failings within society at large, leading to things like scapegoating, prejudice, and violence. This is actually connected to a something called an outbreak narrative. This is, this is a concept developed by uh, uh, American uh, scholar Priscilla Wald, who said that basically the um, a fear of the spread of disease is developed in only one direction, from so-called marginalized, deviant, or underdeveloped groups to native, mainstream, or developed society. And we, we often see that in different forms of othering and orientalization. You know, it's, it's no surprise to me that the patient zero in contagion is, is a chef from Macau, or the first infected person in blindness is a, is a Japanese man. Or in the Painted Veil, we see this kind of timeless rural Chinese village as the nexus of infection, and is portrayed as fortunate to receive selfless, this, this selfless Western a bacteriologist who's risking his own life to save others. Hmm. The second kind of social response that, that we talk about um, to epidemics um, also leads to a breakdown in sociability, often in this form of violent resistance or unrest against uh, medical or political authorities. But interestingly, it, it's kind of paradoxically, in order to, to, to re- protect or retain uh, aspects of normal life under threat, you know, perceived freedoms and liberties and customary traditions and, and practices. That is to say, things like quarantines, disruption to economic activity, changes to burial practices, societies don't always accept these very readily. You know, we've seen that in the context of Ebola, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... The thing that links both of these kinds of uh, responses is basically a breakdown in trust on a number of different levels. Um, This can be on the institutional level, on the societal level, or on the interpersonal level. And I think films emphasize how things like suspicion and prejudice are not features which suddenly emerge out of con- new conditions created by fear of the, the pathogen. They're actually ingrained features of societies before the appearance of epidemics, often informed by structural inequalities based on race, gender, socioeconomic status. Now, to me, it's not unexpected that communities struggling to trust authorities and officials when afflicted with Ebola are places that have already had to deal with failed governments and regional conflicts and so on. We're not seeing that so much, though, with um, this uh, COVID-19, though, are we? Resistance to, say, quarantine. or It seems like people are cooperating more. Um, yes, but, I mean, I think with China, it's a very, very uh, specific case, though, a very unusual case where a very unusual kind of political context and I think it also depends uh, so it's not not everything is just about uh, violence and uh, strong 
um, uh, a strong reaction against against uh, quarantine or isolation, but sometimes it's more um, sort of passive resistance. The idea that people just really want to to uh, do ordinary things, basically. Uh, so how do you see film differing from real life? And then what are some of the potential problems with these film representations? Yeah, well, I guess films may be grounded in reality, but of course they're, they're not reality. You know, fear, panic, chaos. They're features in films which are likely just to be retained for entertainment purposes. Um, a problem... I think is that, like news reporting and social media, other forms of popular culture, such as novels, television shows, films, they can also influence people's trust, um, especially when this information provided about an epidemic disease is, is seen as sort of grounded in scientific facts by society. And I think audiences might be more inclined to take this information on when educational messages are reinforced by emotive kinds of stories. You know? So we see even highly impl implausible situations, such as those seen in, in the zombie movies, scholars still suggest that they have very significant uh, public health implications. So what I'm saying basically is that films are very effective medium for delivering messages, but actually the problem lies in the nature of the message. Um, I think, to my mind, films should avoid perpetuating othering and orientalization, but instead find ways to critique this process. Uh, so you kind of touched on this a little bit just now, but did you find any upside to any of the films and societal reactions? Yeah, I think well, the one thing that we see in, in some of these films is that you know, while epidemics often exacerbate, maybe pull apart uh, pre-existing inequalities, this might not always be a kind of universal rule. And I think sometimes the, the demands of dealing with uh, an epidemic may also bring to light um, previously unseen elements of, of, of social cohesion based on maybe empathy or compassion. So I think it, um, these films kind of show the problems of simply seeing epidemics deterministically as inevitably creating prejudice and discord or inevitably leading to acts of kindness or courage, but to sort of see the more nuanced picture that both can actually coexist simultaneously and the lines between the two could be more blurred than, than appears on the surface. I think, so if, if I just uh, point to an example, so you in, in, the, um, in the film Blindness from 2008, if this shows this issue very well. You have this man played by uh, Danny Glover. And at the end of the film, he kind of, he kind of reflects upon his status, both pre- and post-blindness. This, this film is about a kind of a disease which leads to, to blindness, essentially. And he notes that sort of prior to, to the disease, his overall status was defined by his otherness. And it's sort of hints at maybe lines of r racial discrimination, maybe it's through poverty, maybe it's just simply that he has to wear an eye patch in his life. But for him, the disease is a kind of egalitarian process. process. But it's the first time he's actually accepted 
as a person just like any other. So I, I think this is also an interesting sort of angle on uh, uh, society and epidemics. How do you think um, pandemic films impact reactions and thinking during real outbreaks? Again, we already talked about this a little bit, but like what we're experiencing now with COVID-19 or or what has been happening with Ebola. As I said, we, we take our cues from popular culture. Um, so if in films you have orientalization and othering, you know, some of these examples that I mentioned, things like contagion, blindness, then we are likely, it stands to reason, that we're also going to see these things in society itself. And yeah, this, this, has, this has sort of come out during this, this process of, of dealing with uh, COVID-19. Um, you know, we've seen racist abuse of, 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 of Asians, basically, in different parts of, of Europe, in, in different parts of North America, various different examples. Um, so, it, yeah, I think uh, there is a real connection between the two. Uh, so uh, clearly we'll have to wait and see what happens with this um, COVID outbreak um, and how it ultimately turns out. But from this point in time, what kind of a film do you envision for it? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think, uh, again, to, to return to this, the same point, uh, yeah, an important point of departure for any film based around this, this outbreak, I think would have to reflect upon this process of, of orientalization and othering, not just perpetuate it, but actually deal with the issue critically. Try to, to, to deal with why we are, why societies move towards that, that kind of uh, line of thinking. But also I think um, I would be interested to see a film that also reflects upon the ordinary lives of citizens especially the poor and the marginalized. Because mm-hmm. these often get pushed into the background in favor of more macroscopic elements of overall disease management. You know, so we see, I see it again with COVID-19. We see a lot of attention paid towards implementation of, of quarantines and str- you know, stringent quarantines, stringent rules and regulations regarding the movement of people. But less attention actually paid to um, the, the actual lives of individuals that are undergoing that, 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 that quarantine. And that, I think, is, is some, sometimes uh, lost. I think films are really a great opportunity to, to address that because they, they focus in on protagonists. They focus in on, on actual characters. Yes, I think that's a that's a... Nice vision. I'd like to see that too. He said that you're not really a a, a film guy yourself, but uh, what are your ty- favorite types of movies? Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a film scholar, but of course I do like uh, a film. Um, not necessarily disease related ones. I have to say I don't really like one uh, particular genre. But if if I was able to sort of put put together my top five films. I would I would say E.T., uh, Spielberg, uh, 1980s, I guess. Kess, it's a British film from the, the 60s. Uh, Isle of Dogs, 
which is a, a recent film by uh, Wes Anderson, also related to disease, actually, because these dogs on the island, they, uh, they get dog flu and then they're sent off to uh, some separate uh, isolated island called Trash Island. So that is sort of uh, disease-related. Um, uh-huh. American Honey, I like, and also Call Me By Your Name. They're, they're my top five uh, What was the second? I think the second one you said? Uh, Kess. It's a, it's a British film about uh, a young boy uh, from a, a, nor- a sort of working class uh, northern uh, uh, English town who uh, basically befriends uh, a kestrel and uh, just about him training his kestrel uh, in this kind of mining town. Ah, I haven't heard of that one. Um, interesting. Nice uh, selection of movies. Um, they all have kind of varied. So tell us about your job. You work, uh, as we said, at the Erasmus School of History, Culture and Communication. Um, that sounds pretty unique and fascinating. What do you enjoy most about it? And what kinds of things do you like to do when you're not working? Yeah, it's a, it's a nice job, uh, mainly because I have uh, an 800,000 euro project, uh, which will take place uh, all the way up until 2024. Wow. And this uh, well, allows me to, to employ uh, other people, postdoc, PhD, but uh, it also attempts to, to, to look at um, the redistributive impact of epidemic diseases in historical perspective. Uh, not only how epidemics uh, redistribute wealth, property, resources, but uh, also how they affect um, social, social mobility for young people that maybe lose a parent or both parents, for example, in a short space of time, and also how they affect the perception of inequality and fairness. Um, at, at the university, I, I teach a course called uh, Epidemics, Famines, and Development in, in Historical Perspective, and I have a new book out this year together with some other co-authors called Disasters and History. Deductive history? Uh, sorry, uh, disasters and history. Excellent. Yeah, when I'm not working, I, I like to, to travel, eat nice food, cycle, <laughs> watch a bit of football, and uh, drink the odd uh, Belgian beer. Pretty much everybody cycles in Netherlands, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a kind of, uh, it's kind of enforced, basically, on, upon you, in a way. Oh, that's... But I also like to cycle for fun as well. Okay. Very nice. Um, yes, I, I when I went to Amsterdam, I, I always knew that everybody cycled, but I was really <laughs> awestruck by the number of bicycles everywhere. Yeah, you have to be uh, prepared. You have to have eyes in the back of your head, otherwise you easy uh, get run over. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Dr. Curtis. Yeah, not a problem. Listeners can read the February 2020 article, Social Responses to Epidemics Depicted by Cinema, online at cdc.gov eid. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.